prosperity. They'd have good things going on. Uh, just everything was great. And during that time, their eyes would come off of God and look at all the things everybody else had. So they would leave the time of rest and enter a time of rebellion. When they entered into a time of rebellion, God would bring retribution or His judgment. The reason God brought His judgment is not so much like uh, bringing uh, justice to what people have done wrong. God brings that retribution so that they'll lift up their eyes above their circumstances and what's going on and repent. That's the next state. The next state is during that time of judgment or during that time of retribution, the people would come to a point of repentance. But here's what we see for the 400 years in the book of Judges. The repentance was always on the surface. We know the repentance was on the surface because as soon as God delivered them, as soon as God sent that hero, remember the word for judge means hero, as soon as God sent that hero to them to set them free from whatever they found themselves, the trouble they found themselves in, as soon as that judge died, they were right back into a time of rebellion again. And that cycle continued for 400 years. And for 400 years, at the end of the book of Judges, the Lord would say this, that at that time, there was no king in Israel. One of the things we want to guard against in our life, as we study the book of Judges, and we, as we see ourselves and a lot of the things that the people did, is recognizing that God needs to be your king. That means he's in charge. He's the one that's calling the shots, that you're looking for, for him. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, remember? Seek ye first, what? The kingdom of God. That means God's your king, right? So you're, you're submitting yourself into his hand. And then Jesus went on to say, not only seek ye first the kingdom of God, but what else? And his righteousness. Righteousness speaks of a right relationship with God. That that's to be our primary focus in our life as believers. Now, Paul said it like this. In all that you do, do all things to the glory of God. So whatever we're doing, doesn't make any difference. God's got you working a job, any job, pick your job, it doesn't matter. Can you do it for the glory of God? Absolutely you can. If whatever, whatever direction the Lord has your life, whatever you're doing it, you don't have to be a preacher, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be teaching Sunday school, but you do have to have the Lord as your king and be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, a right relationship with him. And Jesus said that's the key because after that, all these other things will be added unto you, all those things we worry about, all those things that cause us to fret. So that's the key, and we see that same exact key all throughout the book of Judges. All throughout. Now last time we talked about the first three judges. First judge is Othniel. Othniel was one who was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Bible describes him. So one of the first things we see about being a hero of God is that we have to learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? We got to be filled. We got to be allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, to use us, to guide us. Okay, that means when we have that little voice in our head that is saying, hey, you need to go share with that person, or maybe that person needs prayer, or we should probably go give that, that man or woman a hug, make them feel welcome, whatever it might be, that we obey that voice. And the more that we obey that voice, the more we learn to listen to that voice, the easier it is to discern, is that me or is that God? Stepping out, walking by faith, not by sight. 
The next guy we see is a fellow named Ehud. Ehud, he, he's, notif- <laughs> he's notable because he built this dagger. Now, it's interesting because that dagger he uses to assassinate a king and set the people free. But that dagger, the word for that dagger is the same word when we get into the scripture and it says the, the word of God is like that sword of the spirit. The Rima, it speaks of that spoken word of God. Now, I, I, I'm not bypassing the word of God. That's a two-edged sword. But when we talk about the Rima, we talk about that spoken word of God. That, that Have you ever been talking with somebody or ministering to somebody and you, a verse comes in your head? Well, of course, that verse is out of the word of God, but who put it in your head? Who's whispering in your ear? Who's guiding you? That's the Rima. That's a surgical sword given by the Lord to just strike that right point. And when we read the King James Version of what occurred to Ehud, he, he sticks that sword in, and the Bible says dirt came out. One of the things we realize about heroes of God is if we'll put the sword in, the sword of the Spirit, the dirt comes out. The garbage is on the floor. We, we can clean that stuff out. But we do it with that surgical precision of that surgical sword like a dagger. And that's that time when the Holy Spirit of God guides us to just the right word for just the right moment. The third guy we come to is a fellow named, I think his name's Shamgar, is that right? I could open up the Bible and say it, but Shamgar, Shamgar, we got one verse about Shamgar, the third judge. All that verse says is he was walking around with an ox goad. And that he killed 600 Philistines. Now, keep in mind, what that verse is telling us is Shamgar, just a regular guy, just another farmer, is out in the field with an ox goad. That means he's plowing a field, he's working a field, and he's got this stick, pointy end on one side, spade on the other. The pointy end, he'd poke into the ox to keep the ox moving, and the spade he would use to clean the plow. And while he was working, some Philistines came along, And he used what was in his hand. It speaks to service. It speaks to being involved as a a servant of God. Doing whatever God's called us to do. Using whatever God's put in our hands. Sometimes it's a sword. Sometimes it's just the, the dunamis, that dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's an ox goad. We can serve God with a broom. We can serve God with a shovel. We can serve God with a hoe. We can serve God a number of ways, but the key point for Shamgar is he was serving. An opportunity arose. He met the challenge and defeated the enemy and delivered God's people. So we want to be able to walk as the heroes of God through the book of Judges, and we want to learn from their examples. Looking for that place of service and recognizing there's no such thing as doing a small thing for the Lord. There's no such thing. In fact, the Bible would say, don't despise the day of small things or of small beginnings. Wherever God has us, it's an opportunity for victory, right? And so we want to, be, we want to have those kind of eyes to see those things. Tonight, as we take a look, we'll be in chapter 4. And as we take a look at chapter 4, and hopefully we'll do 4 and 5. We'll see how, how much flapping my gums I do. But we're going to be talking about uh, the only woman judge. Her name is Deborah. And uh, so let's get into it. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Now, when Ehud was dead, and we remember, he rules 
for the longest period of time. So that after Ehud delivered the people, that's the guy with the sword or the dagger. Uh, he ruled for 75 years. They had 75 years of rest. But when he died, what happened? The people went into rebellion. That's what the scripture tells us. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. When we look at this, we understand the difference between reformation and revival. Reformation is the ability to reform the things that we do on the outside. You can dress us up, right? You ever heard that saying, you can dress them up, but you can't take them out? Why? You can make them look good on the outside, but inside, they're still screaming. When, uh, when Cindy Hagerman, when Cindy Hagerman, we had her funeral after she died of cancer back in California, <clears throat> I had to wear a suit because that's what's appropriate to wear for a funeral. But I also knew Cindy. Cindy hated that. So when I got up and spoke at her funeral, I said, I am wearing a suit on the outside. But then I pull up my pants. I have my motorcycle boots on underneath the, for, for, for the Harley I still had then. And uh, I pulled them up and I said, but on the inside, I'm still got that little rebel in me. Well, we see the same thing occurring with the children of Israel. The outside, they, they could say, okay, and they could be good for a time. But without revival happening, revival means there's a lasting inward change. There's a lasting inward change within us. That's why the psalmist would cry out, revive us again, O Lord. Revival. Reviving speaks of something that's dead, has no life in it. But then God comes along and revives. And it's alive. And sometimes that's what we need in our life. We can do reformation, right? We all know people who, for one time or another, cleaned up. But the Bible says that a dog will always what? Return to his vomit and a pig to a wallowing in the mire. So we want to see lasting change that occurs through revival. And that's not taking place in the, among the children of Israel at this time. So scripture goes on. So the Lord, listen to this phrase. I want you to get it. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. The Lord sold them. They're God's people, right? And ultimately, during this period of time, 400 years, God wanted them to receive him as their king. And that he would speak to them through the prophets and through the priests. He had a high priest through whom God would speak. And I don't want you ever to lose sight of the fact that if you went to Shiloh and you stood before the tabernacle, the Shekinah of God was there, the cloud. The same cloud that brought them out of Egypt, that took them across the Red Sea, that, that, that they saw all the miracles, the pillar, it was there. Visible sign of the presence of God in their midst. They had that. And they needed to, to, to recognize, here's God in my presence, and God wants to be my king. But the Bible says in those days there was no king, and every man did what? Was right in his own heart. Jeremiah tells us there's a problem with our heart. It's sick. Our heart is sick. And there is no cure for our heart. The prophet Ezekiel said that if we would come to the Lord and call upon His name, He would remove our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. We have to have a new heart, a new life. A new creation created in Christ Jesus, right? They needed to come to the point where they would recognize God as king, but they wouldn't do it. 
So they have the presence of God in this place, but the Lord who owns them sells them to Jabin. Now Jabin's a, a, a bad guy. He's not, he's not a good guy. But sometimes God uses bad things to help his people develop the character they need to succeed in their walk of faith. More important than our comfort, more important than we have all the things that we want to have is that we realize that God wants to challenge us, that God wants to test us, that God as our king will do things in our life that's going to develop the character that we need. And we as good subjects of the king should receive God's correction, God's guidance, God's direction. And rather than asking, Lord, how can I get out of this? That we would say, what can I get out of this? What do you have for me, Lord? What do you want to show me? So we want to have that kind of an attitude, that kind of a mindset. So Jabin, king of the Canaanites, he, he takes control. Who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was a guy named Sisera, who dwelt in Herosheth Hagoyim. Herosheth Hagoyim is about 10 miles from a mountain called Megiddo. Sound familiar to anybody? The valley of Megiddo, valley is the word Har. So the valley of Megiddo is Har Megiddo. Does that sound familiar? Armageddon. The Napoleon said the greatest battlefield on the face of the earth was the plains of Megiddo or Armageddon. So here, this is where the king is set up. He's set up in this area, close to that area. And the children of Israel, <clears throat> the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. For Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. That's tanks. In those days, that was tanks. At this time in the world, for the nation of Israel, they were still in the Bronze Age. So I want you to consider, they have weapons of bronze, and they're trying to do battle with chariots of iron. If we know anything about metal, bronze is not going to stand up to iron. Children of Israel hadn't entered into the, to the Iron Age yet. They were still using weapons of bronze. He had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years, he had harshly pressed the children of Israel. Now, if you go through all the judges, you'll notice something. First, they were oppressed for eight years and they cried out. Then they were oppressed, we remember, 18 years. Then they cry out. Now they've been oppressed for 20 years. Sometimes we are hard-headed, aren't we? Sometimes we refuse to call on the name of the Lord. The purpose is not for God to punish. The purpose is for God to create a situation in our life that we'll look at Him. That we'll call upon His name. That we'll reach out for His hand as our Father. But we all know as growing up, when we were young kids and we were mad at our dad, there, it would take quite a bit for us to reach out for dad's hand. We turn our back to dad. We don't want to talk to dad. We don't want to have anything to do with dad. But all the while, sometimes in our life, circumstances are getting more and more difficult, more and more hard. And all your dad really wants is for you to reach out to him and allow him to help. Same way with our heavenly father, only more perfect. Our earthly fathers are kind of messed up. Myself included. My kids would be happy to tell you. But... Our Heavenly Father's not. And He wants us to reach out our hand to Him. Well, they waited 20 years. Now, I want to ask you something. As we look at that verse, where were the eyes of the children of Israel? 
the eyes of the children of Israel were on 900 iron chariots. We've talked about it over and over again. The difference between a hero and a zero is a hero will lift his eyes a little higher. And he sees God and his ability to deliver. A zero, someone who's struggling, unwilling to reach out to the Father, only can get his eyes as high as the obstacle that's in his way. Right? The whole nation of Israel, when David came to bring his brothers lunch, all they could see was a giant. What did David see? The God that could deliver the people. Same way with Joshua. What about Caleb when he came to the land and all the giants were on the mountain? He didn't see the giants. He saw the God that was able to deliver. So that's a big, that's a big difference. What you see, what's the struggle? We can get our eyes so focused on the storm that that's all we recognize. Remember Peter? Peter seeing Jesus walking on the water, storm is kind of raging. He says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. So Jesus said, come. And Peter jumped out of the boat and walked on the water. Isn't that amazing? Anybody else ever done that? But as he was walking on the water, where did his eyes go? To the wind, to the waves, to the storm. And then he couldn't see Jesus anymore and he sank. But all he had to do was say, Lord, save me. And who was there? Jesus had him in, picked him up. Oh, Peter, why'd you doubt? You're right there. Right there. Peter's going to do better just like we do. Just like we do. The key is learning from our failures and then making that application so that we can have a victory down the road. Well, here they cry out to the Lord. Verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. So Deborah, now this is two things. It's a, an illumination. It's an illumination because you need to understand that God still always from now till forevermore uses women in ministry. He uses women in ministry. And so here we see God calling Deborah and Deborah judging the people. So it's an illustration of the reality that God has a plan, that God has a a plan within the body for ministry with women. It's also, to the men of Israel, a humiliation. It's a humiliation because there was no man to stand. And we'll recognize that as we go a little further. Deborah's going to sing a song. And in the song of Deborah, we'll recognize that she is judging Israel because the men refuse to do it. Some women within the church have to be the spiritual head of their family. Why? Because the men refuse to do it. That is an illustration of God's ability to use a woman to touch people's lives. And absolutely, they have a vital part within ministry. It is also to the husband a humiliation. What are you doing? You're not fulfilling your role. God's plan for your life. So we see the same thing. In the life of Deborah. Look at verse 5. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came to her for judgment. Now in, in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 12, the Lord said that he was going through the people's rebellion. That God was going to use women to lead them. God was saying to them... The men are not being who they need to be. Because if a man would stand, God would have him do what Deborah was doing. But a man wouldn't stand. A man wouldn't stand. So Deborah was fulfilling that role. Now, 
they came to, to her for judgment. And she sent and called for Barak, son of Abinoam, the, in, uh, from Kedesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Now, here's an important thing. God speaks to Deborah. Deborah is a prophetess. The Bible is full of, of prophetesses. I'm not sure if that's how you pluralize prophetess, but anyways, you get the idea. Multiple prophetesses. <clears throat> so, so here we see God giving a message to Deborah for Barak. And the message is to Barak, hasn't God commanded you? Do you understand what that means? It means God had already spoken to Barak, but he wasn't moving. So Deborah sends to him and says, hasn't God commanded you? Hasn't the Lord spoken to you? Don't you recognize that God has a call on your life? See, Barak was the, the general of the army. He's the guy who was supposed to lead the, 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 the Israeli army that they didn't really have. But the, he was the guy who was supposed to do it. And God had spoken to his heart, but he was frozen. And he would not move. So God spoke to Deborah. And Deborah sent to him and said, Has not God commanded? Has not the Lord commanded? Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. And take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army. Now that's where it all fell apart. You see, Barak was fine to go to Tabor. He was fine to lead God's people. But as soon as God said, and I will bring Sisera against you, that's where it all fell apart. See, Sisera was a real power behind Jabin. Jabin, the king of Kenan, he had a general named Sisera, and he was bad to the bone. And he ruled, he took care of all the stuff that, that, that he needed to so that Jabin could maintain his power. He ruled the people, he broke the people's will, he was way feared for 20 years while Jabin ruled. And now God says to Barak, I want you to go and I am going to bring this guy that everybody's afraid of against you. And Barak's like, I don't know, I'm not going. I ain't going. I'll stay here. So he didn't move. So God said to Deborah, hey, Deborah, you got to go get Barak. He's not going to go. So will you go wake him up? So she calls to him, hey, I know that God has given you this message. And so the Lord said, I will, against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and his chariots, and his multitude at the river Kishon, and there I will deliver him into your hand. So God had already said, I'm going to do it. Barak, all you got to do is show up. But Barak would not show up. You know, in a lot of ways in our lives, we can be like Barak. We can know that we know that God has something that he wants us to do. And we will never find satisfaction in our life while we are not doing whatever God has for us. If God has gifted us or laid a calling on our life to teach, we'll never be happy if we're not teaching. I have seen people, most amazing people, Sit down with kids that it's hard for me to just be in the same room with. And sit down 
and teach them a Bible verse. And the kids were all sitting there quiet. Now, if I went in there, they'd be jumping on me and running around and doing all this crazy stuff. But this person would sit there and teach them a Bible verse. And the kids would sit and they would listen and they would learn. They're gifted to teach. And if they are not teaching, they're not going to be satisfied no matter what they're doing. Oh, they can have whatever earthly job they need to have. But for the Lord, they need to be teaching. Some people need to be worshiping. Some people need to be doing something. Because the body of Christ functions when, as Paul said, every part does its share. If something isn't working in your body, do you know it? Oh yeah, trust me, you'll figure it out. It don't even have to be a big part. It could be a little part. I've been coaching football at Castleford this week. And you know... I like to wear flip-flops. And them kids got them big old gnarly cleats on right now. Now, my toes aren't very big. And it, compared to the rest of my body, they're pretty small. But when one of them kids mashes my toe, the rest of my body knows. Something is not doing its part. The part that's not doing its part is the brain. Who could have wore shoes. Oh, Kept the t- Kept the toes out from underneath the cleat, something. So we want to be doing. What's God got for us? We need to be doing it. Barak wasn't doing it. He wasn't doing it. He'd probably miserable wherever he's at. But because of the fear of man, and the Bible says the fear of man is a snare, right? It traps us. Because of the fear of man, he wasn't moving. So the Lord sent Deborah. Sometimes behind every good man is a better woman. And so here comes Deborah to to Barak's rescue. And she tells him this. And look at Barak's response in verse 8. So Barak said to her, If you go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Yeah, fellas, before we're too hard on them, everybody in here that's a guy has said that to his wife at one time or another. If you will, I go. But if you're not going, ah. We have done it. I know I've said it. I know I've said it. But here Barak's saying the same thing to Deborah. Now God has already said, I'm going to deliver you. So look at what Deborah says. Now Deborah, she, she doesn't get mad. She just says, I will surely go with you. And nevertheless, because you've made this choice, there will be no glory for you. There'll be no glory for you for the journey that you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So Deborah said, hey, because you're not willing just to step out and walk in faith, I'll go with you. God's still going to deliver, but you're not going to, you're not, not that he would receive the glory, but he's not going to get famous for this. Somebody else is. A woman's going to get famous for it because you're not willing to hear When the children of Israel came to Kadesh Barnea and they sent the 12 spies into the land, we know that when they came back, 10 had a bad report. 10 said, we can't do it. Two said, yes, we can. They listened to the 10. That's our tendency, right? They listened to the bad report. And so they wouldn't go. So that whole generation perished until a generation arose that was willing to believe what God said. We don't want to be a generation that has to perish in order to recognize that God wants to do something. we got to learn to be those men and women who will 
receive what the Lord is leading us to, and then stand up and say, I'll go. So Barak is going to go, Deborah is going to go with him. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. So here's what works. Here's what happens. We'll see more as we get to to chapter 5. They gather 10,000 men from Zebulun and Naphtali. They're going to gather 30,000 men from a few other tribes. We'll name those in the next chapter. And so the 10,000 lure Sisera and spring the trap, and the 30,000 are going to chase them down. We get the full story in Deborah's song. In chapter 4, we get Barak's story. So Barak's associated with these 10,000 guys and going and springing the trap on Sisera. So, here we go. They head in. Now, the story gets a little tricky. Verse 11, Now Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is beside Kadesh. So we have a Kenite. Kenite, this is relatives of Moses' father-in-law. Remember Jethro? He's also known as Hobab. Moses' father-in-law. So this is a relation to Moses, who's not a Jew, who's been traveling with the nation of Israel, but has separated himself from the Kenites. Now, you cannot find two people to agree on whether or not Heber was separating himself away from the children of Israel to the Canaanites and, and trying to help them, or separating himself from the Canaanites and trying to help trick Sisera. We can't know for sure. But here's what we do know. Heber's name means to cross over. To cross over. The Hebrew, the word Hebrew means those who have crossed over. Crossing over the Red Sea, the Hebrews. So here we have Heber. Let's look at the story. They reported, Heber goes to Sisera, that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So, so we see Heber go and tell him. But I want you to understand this. This we do know. Heber and his wife, Jael, both lived where Sisera was, had been in control. Remember I told you the way Sisera ruled? Everybody was afraid of him, right? He wasn't, they weren't afraid of him because he's such a good guy. They're afraid of him because he's a dirty dog. And he would abuse people. And so we see these people who Sisera knows from having ruled in the area that they live. Now they've moved and they find themselves over closer to Ephraim. And in that place, they hear about what's going on and they go tell Sisera. I tend to believe that Heber had, was trying to get back at Sisera for the things he had done. And that gets a little more clear, I think, as we continue to go through the story. But nonetheless, he goes and tells Sisera, and we know what Sisera is going to do, right? Oh, he's got an army over there. Let's go whoop him. So, verse 13, so Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. And all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Now we're right smack dab in the middle of the plains of Megiddo or Armageddon. Then Deborah said to Barak, get up. It's time to go. Now you reckon that God was trying to tell Barak the same thing? My wife loves the story of Deborah. This is where she gets all her motivation for being my Holy Spirit. You gotta go, you gotta go. We have to be open. Here, Deborah says to Barak, Get up, up, 
This is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The next phrase in verse 15, the Lord routed Sisera, all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted or jumped off his chariot and fled away on foot. Now, isn't that interesting? Last I checked, the chariot was faster than running. But we don't know the rest of the story. It says that the Lord routed them. Literally, the word in the Hebrew means he confused them. How did he confuse them? Well, it goes like this. Sisera and all the Canaanites worshipped a god called Baal. Baal was the god of the rain, god of the storms. He's the one they would pray to to bring rain to the land. And they were right now currently in the dry season. But as the battle begins, we'll find out in the next chapter, God opens up the heavens and it begins to rain. And the Kishon River swells and floods the plain and turns it into a giant mud hole. Now, when the chariots hit the mud, big old heavy iron chariots, what do they do? Sink. So that's why he jumped off the chariot. God, by bringing the rain, did two things. He confused them because how are we supposed to fight in the mud? And two, he confused them because their God, Baal, is supposed to be the God of the storm. And why is it raining on us? Why is the, why is the Hebrew God bringing the rain? Why, why are these things happening? So they were confused and they're routed. And Barak and his men are going to wipe them out. Scripture tells us then, Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth, so that's ten miles away, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not one man was left. Verse 17, the rest of the story. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. So he is running and he sees the tent. Now remember I told you Sisera ruled in the land where Heber and Jael were from. And so, when he sees, she, he comes by that tent, she must be standing out front, he recognizes her. This is someone, one of my subjects, over whom I ruled. And he's going to think that he still has authority over her to, to do and ask her or whatever he wants. And he's going to do something that no man at that time would ever do. That's go into a woman's tent especially a woman who belonged to another man. Immediately upon entering her tent, according to just about every law, Canaanite and Israelite, you were subject to the death penalty. Because just by you being in there, you have the, the, the form of ungodliness, the, of evil. Why'd you go in there? What are you doing? Why would you be in another? That's like going into a, another, woman's, uh, another woman's, another man's wife's bedroom. What are you doing in there? You're, the man's not home. Why are you there? You shouldn't be there. Well, same kind of thing is happening here. So he runs by. He sees Jael, someone whom he's ruled over before. He sees her. And then it says, however, <clears throat> Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber. And there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So they say, hey, they, they used to get along. These guys used to get along, used to know each other. So Jael went to meet Sisera and said to him, 
Turn aside, my Lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside to her and into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. So the woman sets him up. Come on in. Now he thinks, hey, I'm good. I'm safe. Because no other guy is going to come running into her tent. So I'm safe. Covers her, covers him up with a blanket. He thinks he's going to get away. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk. Is milk the same thing as water? No. Uh, not even 1%. It's not the same. It weighs the same. Man, it's good cold. So, <clears throat> so I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, now stand at the door. So he's given order. Stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, you say, and says, is there a man in there? You tell him no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and a hammer and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground. He got nailed. (laughs) There's just too many jokes with this one. For he was fast asleep and weary. And here's the biggest uh, statement of all. With a temp peg through his temple, he died. In case you were wondering, he didn't make it through that. And then as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. Just like God had promised, right? You won't get the glory, but a woman will. So this woman, Jael, kills Sisera, the man that all of Israel was so afraid of. She puts a tent peg through his temple. The next time, fellas, that you don't obey the word of God, which says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and you fall asleep in bed when mom's mad, you're going to wake up with a start as you see this tent peg and hammer coming for you. <laughs> Be aware. So the Lord does it. Now here's something I want you to see. The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all these things happen for our admonition, for our learning, so that we can apply them to our life. So I want you to consider J.L. and I want you to consider Sisera for a minute. Sisera was an old man. So we'll refer to him as an old man. So the old man came to her. First thing the old man does, he... He comes to her and he tells her to lie. You ever have the old man in you tell you to lie? Then after the old man said the lie, the old man said, I want you to satisfy my needs. And his need was for water. But she gave him milk. Scripture says that milk is the milk of the word of God. The milk of the word of God puts the old man to sleep. When the old man falls asleep, she nails him to the ground. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? The old man is rendered cartageo. He is paralyzed. He cannot move. He cannot control you, but his lips work. And so he tells you, lie. He tells you, satisfy me. The Bible says the written requirements that were against us have been taken out of the way and done what? Nailed to the cross. Jesus Christ killed the old man. The old man, we don't have to do anything the old man says. We don't have to do anything he tells us. Just like J.L., we are to reckon the old man 
What did Paul say? Reckon the old man dead. Reckon him dead. So, Scripture goes on in verse 23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. So, God uses Deborah, and it teamed up with a fellow named Barak. And Deborah is the hero who leads them to victory and brings the children of Israel out of that period of retribution or the judgment of God and leads them into a time of rest. Now, as we look at chapter 5, chapter 5 then is a song that Deborah and Barak write together. They're so stoked about what God's done, they sit down on the day of the victory and they write this song. And in the song, you'll see all the pieces of the story come together. Let's take a look at it. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abonuim, said on that day, uh, saying on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Now you can substitute when leaders lead just about anywhere. When those who are called to lead fulfill their obligation to lead, the people follow and God will bring the victory. And now that works for Israel, it works for Calvary Chapel Buell too. When those who are called to lead, step up and lead. When do we get to retire from serving the Lord? Yeah, there is no retirement. That's the American dream, not God's dream. God doesn't say, hey, if you've really been working at it really hard, I'm going to stop sending any storms. The winds won't blow. Life will get easy. He doesn't say that. The Lord says, rather, hey, Moses, you're going to die this week, but tomorrow I need you to go to war. Well, he couldn't catch a break. Because where are we? Are we home? No, we're in enemy territory, right? So in enemy territory, we have to be diligent. We have to be those who are ready and prepared to serve the Lord. Step out in faith to Him. When leaders lead, the people will follow. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Now, here's one of the cool things. And I just want you guys to ponder this for a minute. Often in the Bible, we see after God's deliverance, God's people praise. I just got a quick question. What would it be like if the people praised God before the deliverance? Because God said he was going to deliver, right? What if when the children of Israel were standing before the Red Sea, before it parted, instead of complaining that God brought them there to kill them, what if they had praised the Lord? Now, couldn't we learn the Bible says these things happen to them for our admonition. Could we learn to begin to praise God in the midst of the struggle rather than having our eyes on the giant and forgetting about the God who delivers? So they praise the Lord. Lord, when you went out from Seir and you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. Listen to what happened. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. This Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. So in verse 4 and 5, he tells us that there's a rainstorm that comes. And the rainstorm soaks the fields, flash floods coming down the mountains. Remember, Armageddon is a valley, right? And surrounded by mountains. And this storm just floods it, turns the valley into a bunch of mush. Now in the days of Shamgar, remember Shamgar? He was which judge? Number 3, right? Shamgar, son of Anath. And in the days of Jael, wait a minute, who are they singing about? Barak? No, Jael. God said that the glory would go to a woman, right? 
So Jael, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along the byways. So here's what they're doing. They're looking back to God's deliverance through Shamgar and they're applying it to the present. Just like God delivered through Shamgar, remember he used the ox goad and he killed 600 men of the Philistines? Just like God delivered then, he delivered today. Just like God was with Shamgar, God was with Jael. And the victory was wrought. And during that time, just so we understand the times, he says, we couldn't travel on the highways. It wasn't safe. If you were traveling on the highways, Sisera or some of his army would come down, beat you, kill you, rob you, whatever. Whatever happens when there's another army invading your land. You're not in control. So rather than take the highways, you've got to walk on the other paths, the, the roads that nobody knows about. So that's where they traveled. In verse 7 it says, and Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel. The, the, the everyday life was gone. Until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. Doesn't say a mother of. Or a mother to. I arose a mother in Israel. And I think Deborah, in a lot of ways, that's why she was judging. She was mothering the people of Israel. And I think in this verse, we, we find a real key, and I say the only key, but a real key to God's plan for, for women, and that is to, to be mothers. Those who are able to be mothers. Does it mean God, that's God's only plan? No. But I'm just saying right here, she said, until I, Deborah, raised up, how was she raised up? How did God exalt her? A mother in Israel. It's not a lowly position. There's no reason to be bummed to say to somebody, well, what do you do? Uh, I'm a mom. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's an exalted position, and that's what God's speaking of here. And they, the people, chose new gods, and there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. So now we see the number of the army at 40,000, but earlier we saw the number at 10. Remember, 10,000 were with Barak, 30,000 came from the other uh, uh, tribes that we'll see in just a moment. But it says they didn't have nothing to fight with. You ever had God call you to go to war and you don't have nothing to go to war with? Sticks and stones? <laughs> whatever you, ox goads, whatever's laying in the, in the barn that you can use? That's what the people brought out. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys. Now, white donkeys at the time spoke of peace, wisdom, and wise counsel. I wouldn't be surprised. We get to heaven. We hear Jesus rode into Jerusalem. We know he rode in on a donkey, right? I wouldn't be surprised here he rode in on a white donkey, which was a symbol of coming, entering into land in peace. So he said, hey, listen, all you guys on the, on the white donkeys, you who seek peace and, and wisdom, who sit in judges' attire, who walk along the road, far from the noise of the archers, among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord. So the Lord says, now all you guys who are wise and seeking peace, God delivered us. That's why you have peace. God's brought this time. So now we're going to consider the righteous acts of the Lord. Consider, remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, God commanded the people, make sure you teach your children about the things God has done for you. Make sure you recount for them the stories of God's deliverance. 
Now verse 12, it says, Awake, awake, Deborah, awake and sing a new song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Binoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you came Benjamin with your people. From Machir, rulers, came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. Uh, Basically, the recruiter's staff is the scribe's pen. You heard this statement, a pen is mightier than a sword. Well, the soldiers who came from Zebulun came carrying their pens. The things that they wrote with, the scribe's pen. Now, these are the tribes who came, okay? So let's look back at them real quick. We got Ephraim, we got Benjamin, and Machir, which is Manasseh. And then we have Zebulun, uh, from which came the 10,000. Those are the tribes who answered the call and came to be a part of the army. Now I want you to look at verse 15 also. He goes on. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. So we have Issachar, the tribe of Issachar, answering the call. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Now, among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Huh. Reuben was invited, but they had to think about it so much that they thought so long that they didn't show up. Reuben was the tribe who thought about the call of God to come and be a part of the victory, but they never got going. Spent all their time thinking, oh, but if we do this, what will happen? If we do that, what Anybody like that ever? So... They thought so long, they never got nothing done. When God calls, we're supposed to answer the call. We're supposed to step up. So Reuben, they didn't show up. <clears throat> they were, this is basically the hall of shame we're looking at here. Reuben didn't show up. And then he goes on. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings of the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of the heart. So they stayed with their sheep and talked about it, but they never did anything. Then Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. See, Gilead, they said, uh, it's, not our t- it's not our land. That's, that's theirs. They can fight. So they didn't go. That's not our turf. That's not our place. That's not our problem. That's your problem. Let me ask you a question. In the body of Christ, if part of the body of Christ is under attack, what bleeds? The whole body, right? doesn't make any difference whether it affects us. It affects the body. But here we see the nation of Israel. We see Gilead not answering the call because uh, they don't think there should be a part of it. And then, and why did Dan remain on his ships? So Dan, he's right there by the Mediterranean. He just stayed out. He was on a cruise. He was too busy on a cruise to go be a part of the battle. Dan's on a cruise. So the Lord says, what are you doing on a cruise? You, you, you couldn't be bothered to get off the ship and come help your brothers. You're having such a good time. And then, and Asher continued on the seashore. What's that mean? Well, Asher was at the beach. Asher was hanging out at the beach. And he stayed by its inlets. And he couldn't be bothered. A good day at the beach. I can't go. I, I'm here. It's my vacation. I'm on vacation at the beach, or I'm on vacation on my boat, or uh, that's not my problem, it's somebody else's problem, or talking about it and thinking about it and never doing it. Though, that's the hall of shame. That's those who would not answer the call of God and be a part of the victory. 
Those are the people we don't want to be. We don't want to say, you know what, I'm on vacation. I can't stop and pray with this guy. I can't minister to this person. I just need some downtime. Anybody ever said that? I just need a break. I just need a, I just need to catch a break. Give me a couple weeks. I don't have to talk to anybody. But during that time, God was calling them and they wouldn't go. We want to be those who answer the call when God calls. We want to be those who step out. Now he goes from the, the hall of shame to the hall of fame. Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. These are the guys, the original part of the 10,000 that went with Barak. Man, they were, they were gung-ho. They went. Now, can God deliver through many or few? He can deliver through whichever, many or few. He can do whatever he, but who loses out? Does God lose if we don't show up? He's still going to make it happen, right? Who loses? Yeah, Paul said this. He said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek what is about what abounds into your account. I seek the blessing that you miss out on. There's blessings that we miss because we don't answer the call. We don't show up to battle. But if we show up, then we get to be a part of that victory. And the kings came and fought, and the kings of Canaan fought in Ta'anak by the waters of Megiddo. Again, reference to Armageddon. And they took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens, the stars from their courses, fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon, that's the river, swept them away. Remember I told you the river flooded and helped flood that whole valley? The ancient torrent of the torrent of Kishon. Oh my soul, march on in strength. And the horses' hooves pounded. The galloping, galloping of his steeds. The horses were working, but they couldn't get going. Everything was sinking into mud. And God brought about the victory. Then, verse 23. Curse Meraz, said the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we see that phrase. The angel of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It's always a reference to what is called in theological terms a Christophany or a theophany, an appearance of God before the incarnation. So when it talks about the angel, what's the word angel mean? Does anybody know? Messenger. Messenger. Doesn't mean winged guy who flies around. Angel just means messenger. So the messenger of Jehovah, the messenger of Yahweh, or what's another word for a message? The word. Who's God the word? Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 19, when he returns, he has a name written upon him, the word of God, the messenger of God, the appearing of God. So here Jesus comes, he curses Moroz. Now we don't know where Moroz is. Nobody knows. All we know is this, bad to be cursed by Jesus. Everybody gets that, right? If Jesus pronounces a curse against you, not, that's not good. Bad. No curses by Jesus. He calls Miraz and he says to them, curse its inhabitants bitterly. Why? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. So Jesus pronounces a curse on those who didn't come, on those who didn't heed the call. At this particular time, as God was working in his progressive revelation with the nation of Israel, he had promised them, if you obey me, what would happen? Blessing, right? And if you disobey, what? Curse. Curse. 
So all God's doing is being faithful to what he already told him. If you obey me, blessing. If you disobey me, curse. And the Lord said, cursing leads to death. Blessing leads to life. I set before you two paths. One death, one life. Choose life. Choose the path of life. So the Lord lays out that. Now the song continues. Most blessed among women is JL. Now, just in case you're wondering, how in the world can that happen? A woman lied. She told the guy he was going to be okay. She covered him with a blanket. She put him asleep and hammered a tent peg through his head. How can she be most blessed? Well, she's fulfilling what God led her to do and what her understanding of, of what God had for her was. And God says, she's blessed. She did what I said. You ever heard of someone doing what God said and thought, how in the world could that be what God said? Surely God would never say such a thing. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is the word says, most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Blessed is she among women in tents. Oh, how happy. Blessed. He asked for water. She gave him milk. Okay, the old man wanted water, satiation. She gave the milk of the word of God. <clears throat> she stretched out her hand to the tent peg and her right hand to the workman's hammer. You know, the word of God is also called the hammer. And it got hammered. She pounded Sisera. <laughs> she pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. And her feet, at her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. It must have been a real rhyme going on there. I think that was part of, part of the hook of the song. But as they're singing, this is the, the, the fulfillment of the things that God spoke of. The mother of Sisera... Look through her window. Now, it, it looks toward uh, the mother of Sisera and cried out through the lattice. Where is the chariot? Why is it taking him so long to get home? Why does he tarry? Why, what is the tearing of the clatter of his chariots? And her wisest ladies answered her. And they bring false hope to, to those who are losing hope. Yes, she answered herself. Are they not finding and dividing the spoil? Surely Sisera just whooped them. And to every man, a girl or two, all the men are taking whatever women they choose. You know, to the victor goes the spoils. Take all the women and abuse them. <clears throat> For Sisera, the plunder of dyed garments. The plunder of garments embroidered and dyed. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And so... The Lord brings delivery, and whether they enter into a time of what? Rest. Rest. What's going to happen after that? Rebellion. The good news is, Gideon's coming in the next chapter. And the land had rest for 40 years. So as we take a look, as we go through the things that God's doing and how God is, is working in the life, try to bring that application from the life of the heroes to say, how can I make that application in my life? Because I want to be in the hall of faith. I want to be in the hall of fame, not in the hall of shame. I want to be those who hear the call and answer, not those who hear the call and ignore. So I want to be able to stand up and be counted among God's elite and watch the incredible things that God's able to do. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We come before you, Lord. We pray that, God, you would just move among us, Lord, that we would just begin to understand the depth of the relationship that you have with us. For unlike the nation of Israel, in regard to the church, the Holy Spirit dwells in the life of every believer. The empowerment to be a hero is in every one of us. The ability to overcome the strength of the enemy is within us all. For we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. Lord, I I just pray, Father, that we would realize that for each of us, we have the ability to fulfill the call. We have the ability to fulfill the, the role of the judges, of the heroes. And they're not all men. And Lord, you called women to step out and and get the, the men that you were trying to direct moving. And without them, there would have been no victory. God, I thank you for the role of women within ministry. Lord, I thank you for the call that you bring. Men and women, Lord, I pray we would be those who would hear your call and answer. And go forward. And experience the victory and the blessing that happens in a victory that God's going to win anyway, but we can be a part of it. So God, give us eyes of discernment, able to see the areas within our lives to which you are directing us, to which you are calling us. Help us make the application and enjoy the victory, Lord Jesus, that you want to work in us. God, help us stand up and be counted. Help us declare ourselves as servants of the Most High King. Help us declare ourselves as those who have a right relationship with God. Help us not to worry about all the junk in the day, because you say if we make you our first concern, all these other things will be added unto us. So Lord, I pray, enable us to understand and move from an attitude of reformation and cleaning up the outside to an attitude of revival that cleans us up on the inside. To submit, humbly repent, and see the Holy Spirit empower us to be who you're calling us to be. And we, Lord, will give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to close in a word of word.